I've never preached out of only one verse before. Maybe someday that will happen. But today we're going to be in two verses. That's right, we've bogged down in James chapter 4 over these past couple of weeks, mainly because there's so much here that I can't just be like, hey, let's do eight verses like we normally do. So we're in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and if you remember back, the past couple of weeks, we've talked about, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about quarrels, and what is the, uh, the cause of quarrels among you, right? And we talked about the fact that um, James lays out that it's our wants, our desires, our sin nature, uh, and how we should avoid quarrels. And then last week, we talked about humbling ourselves. If you remember correctly, we talked about what God requires of us, how he He opposes the proud, not just in some ethereal, I'm opposed to the proud, but directly opposes those who are proud, but lifts up the humble. Remember, we talked about that. And this week, we're going to continue talking about Jesus a little bit, but this week, we're going to talk about judging. So the question I have for you here this morning is, as Christians, are we supposed to judge? No, I hear a lot of no's. Dad, as Christians, are we supposed to judge? Yes, we are. The problem is, I'll explain. I got a couple of looks like this. What? I'll explain. The problem is we judge in the wrong way with the wrong criteria for the wrong outcome. We judge in the wrong way with the wrong criteria for the wrong outcome. Jesus, however, God never judges in the wrong way, never judges with the wrong criteria because he set the criteria and always for the correct outcome. And it is better for us not to judge than to judge because too often we end up in the wrong area. But let's read these two verses, verses 11 and 12 of James chapter 4. It reads, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now you say, Pastor, you just read two verses that say, Don't judge. You're right, I did. Let's talk about the context of not judging in here. Number one on your note sheets, if you grabbed a bulletin, number one on your note sheets, the law, the law. Now this is, of course, referring to, this is why I tell people, as a Christian, we love the New Testament. As New Testament believers, we love the New Testament. It's got most of our favorite verses in it, all that kind of stuff. It's great, it's glorious. But the problem is, you cannot understand the New Testament without a basic working knowledge of the Old Testament. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to know all kinds of fancy terms and stuff like that. But you have to understand what the point of the Old Testament was and what the overarching theme and narrative of the Old Testament is in order to understand the New Testament. Why? Because almost every single book in the New Testament refers to the Old Testament in some way or another. Paul loved to do it. So you have to understand it in its basics. And here's another one. Now, Paul didn't write this. James wrote this. That's why it's called James. And he talks about the law. Now, this is, of course, referring to the law that we find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The law laid out that the Israelites were supposed to follow the rules, if you will, including, but not limited to, the Ten Commandments, which most of you, I'm going to guess, could rattle off the top of your head without thinking too hard about it because it's driven into your head in Sunday school when you're a kid. Right along with John 3.16 and Genesis 1.1. And maybe some good songs like Read Your Bible, Pray Every Day and You'll Grow. Do you guys know that one? 
Yeah. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. Okay. Um, along with Zacchaeus, and he was a little guy and stuff like that, right? Uh, but so, so this is referring to the law. And the fact of the matter is that we as New Testament believers are not under the law anymore. We are under grace. And I want to make that clear. Now, does that mean you shouldn't follow what the Bible says? Of course not. We follow what is called the principle of the law, not the letter of the law, as it's referred to in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You cannot use this as a defense when you get caught going 70 in a 55. I was following the principle of the law officer. It's not going to work. It won't work with God either. Because he does lay out things we are supposed to do and things we are not supposed to do. But the principle of the law is this. We find it in Matthew, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is the principle of the law. And if you follow that, you're going to follow the rest of the law. The parts of the law we are not under, for instance, are things like eating kosher. You can eat pork. Go ahead. Eat a cheeseburger. I don't know why you would because most cheese doesn't taste good. So why you would ruin a good hamburger, I'm not sure. But go ahead. But the point is, if you speak against somebody when you're using the law, you are putting yourself above the law. We talk about that a lot of times, right? Oh, that person has enough money that they are above the law, right? You won't see somebody like Elon Musk or Bill Gates or uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, pick your favorite multi-trillionaire or whatever they are at this point. You're not going to see them arrested because they've paid off enough people that they're going to be fine. They're above the law, or so they think. And the issue is that we put ourselves up above the law when we judge somebody else, when we slander somebody else. That's what it means to speak against somebody else. If I speak against you, if I slander you, I put myself above the law. I'm disobeying the law, and I treat the law with contempt, hatred. I look down on it. The law that God gave out and said, these are the rules you are supposed to follow. This is what righteousness and holiness looks like without Christ. No one can follow it. Go ahead and try. You'll fail. That's why you need grace from Christ. But the point being that if you are doing this, you set yourself up as judge. I like being the judge. I like being the one to make decisions and lay down the verdict. It's fun to me. And too often as Christians, we like to look at somebody else, at their sin struggles, at their life, at what they're walking through, at all this stuff, and make a judgment call and pass a verdict on them. And our job was never to pass judgment, to pass a verdict. Because there's only one lawgiver, and therefore, only one judge. And that's the key thing that we need to understand as believers. We are not judge, jury, executioner. We're not even the judge. Sometimes we get to sit in the crowd. Sometime. But most of the time you will have no idea what somebody else is walking through, what somebody else is dealing with. Now, does it make it right? No. And that's where our judgment comes into play. You see... I make a judgment call 
on each and every one of you every single Sunday morning. You walk through the doors on Sunday morning, and I say, good morning, how you doing? And I got a smile on my face, I think. I hope it's not a grimace. Some Sundays it feels more like one, but you know what? And I make a judgment call on where you are spiritually, where you are physically. What do you need from me as your pastor this morning? Do you need my condolences? Do you need my prayers? Do you need my, my joy? Do you need my whatever? I make a judgment call on where you are so that I can do what's best. And the issue is we are not supposed to judge and look down. We are supposed to judge so that we can help. And there's a key distinctive difference there. If I'm judging you so that I can look down on you and go, well, I don't struggle life with that. I'm so much better than they are. Or, oh, you know what? I prayed for two hours this morning. It's not true. I didn't do that. I did get up this morning, spent some time with God before, but I do that every day. But if I go... Hey, Andy, how much time did you spend with God this morning? I spent two hours. How much did you spend, Andy? Yeah, that's right. You're obviously just not as righteous as I am. It's okay, brother. You'll get there someday. If that's the type of judgments that I'm making, then I am judging incorrectly. I am judging in the wrong way, with the wrong criteria, for the wrong end. However, if I say, hey, Andy... How you doing, brother? Where are you at with this? Like, you know, he's confided in me. Let's say he's confided in me that he's really struggling with jealousy right now, right? He's, I don't think that he is, just so we're clear, all right? But he goes, you know, he, he goes, Pastor, I just, I'm really struggling with jealousy right now. I see this person's got this and this person's got that, and I want it. I want to know why God's not doing this. And I see him, and I go, hey, brother, how you doing with that? I've been praying for you. I looked up a couple of scriptures for you to try to help you with this. Where are you at, brother? How can I help you? I have to make a judgment call. But I make a judgment call with the right criteria to hopefully come out with the right end. Now mark this. There is only one judge who is perfect at it. And that's number two on your note sheets there. Only one. Only one. Verse 12 is quick and succinct. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and to destroy. There is only one lawgiver. God laid out the law. How in the halibut are you supposed to be above the law when God's the one who made it? You can't. Yet we try to set ourselves up above it. There's only one lawgiver. It's not an earthly law. It's not what society says. It's not what culture says. It's not what, I'm going to get yelled at for this. It's not what your parents say. It's what God says. Now here's the thing. If they are godly parents, they will say the same thing. Mine did, do, but, but their law is not above God's law. The board's law is not above this church, the God's law for this church. There is only one lawgiver who made the perfect law, who laid it out perfectly for what it is supposed to be. And therefore, there is only one perfect law and it is the only law found it is the law only found in scripture because as soon as we humans take it and get our grubby little fingers on it it's no longer God's perfect law because we set up our own rules mark this let me give you a perfect example right so you know we're trying to get a youth group going here we're working with Frank Pacetti to get YFC uh, going here at the church and stuff like that right 
I was in a youth group once, that's right. I was once young, I still am. Uh, but I was in youth group. I clearly remember my youth group days. They get fainter with every passing year, but I remember them. And there were all kinds of rules. Now, I had a girlfriend when I was in high school for about eight months. Six, six to eight months, right? And they had all kinds of rules at youth group about what we couldn't do. You can't hold hands. You can't have your arm around her. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I'm a 16-year-old red-blooded American boy, and I'm like, what? This is the first time I've ever had a girl that wants to do this stuff, and I'm not allowed to? Excuse me. I was not a fan of the law laid out by Green Ridge Assemblies of God youth group called Slaves No Longer. And I have a massive issue with a lot of rules when it comes to physical touch and such that youth groups lay out. Can you find a verse in scripture that says don't hold hands? This is not rhetorical. Can you find a verse in scripture that says don't hold hands? Can you find a verse in scripture that says only A-frame hugs or side hugs? Does everybody know what an A-frame hug is? As an A-frame hug? My wife's not in here. Okay, come here. Thank you. Thank you. So this is an A-frame hug, right? Legs are straight, arms out, and you make an A. So that no bodily parts are touching except for hands. The A-frame hug. It's an incredible way to keep righteousness. Amen? Wrong. Here's the thing. What you do find in Scripture is a verse that, verses that talk about the fact that you should view somebody as your brother or sister. So the rule in youth group for should be, uh, until you're married, then the rules change a little bit, right? Okay? We're not going to get into that part. That's not today's sermon. But, so let me ask you, would you hug your sister? Yeah. Would you give a long, lingering hug with hands going all over the place? No, you wouldn't. I hope. Now, in my house, we didn't do this, but in a lot of households, you do. Would you kiss your sister on the cheek? Yes. In some cultures, they even kiss on the lips. I don't like that, but some cultures do, so we'll leave that over in Spain. It's over there. The fact of the matter is, treat her, treat him like they are your brother or sister. Don't lay out a whole bunch of rules that God didn't lay out. Lay out the rules God did, and he made it way simpler than we do. Instead of having to follow a whole list of rules, go, would I do this to my sister? Yes? Okay. Would I do this to my sister? No? Then you shouldn't do it until you're married. It's the long and the short of it. The issue is we get our hands on the law and we twist it and change it to be what we want it to be instead of what God laid it out to be. There's also only one judge. He is impartial. He is perfect. You can't fool him. What you can do is plead for mercy, and oftentimes he gives it. But he is still impartial and perfect. He doesn't care how much money you have. He doesn't care how many great things you've done for the kingdom, how many people you've led to Christ. He doesn't care how nice a guy or gal you are. He doesn't care. He cares Have you followed the law. Did you break the law? Yes, you are guilty. How comforting, right? Yeah. I can go as vulgar as you'd like me to. None of you can embarrass me. All right? 
No, no, I'm not saying you're trying to. But I clearly remember one day coming home from school and somebody in my household asking how a condom works. And there was a 20-minute dissertation on how condoms work around the dinner table that night as we were eating dinner. So none of you can shock me. All right? I'm just putting that out there. That is not an invitation to try, please. I am on Facebook Live right now. I really don't need, uh, you know. But either way, so, <laughs> you guys love to get me off topic. Um, he is perfect and impartial. Now, he is also gracious and loving, but he is perfect and impartial. And in our culture, in our world, we love to focus on the God, the, the aspects of God that is, oh, he's gracious and loving, and he's a sloppy wet kiss. I hate that line in that song. It's disgusting. All I can think about is some big old dog with massive jowls just coming up. Oh, gosh, no. God's kiss isn't like that. I don't know. But he is all of that. You are correct, but he is also a judge, impartial, perfect, holy, righteous, wrathful. He is all of that as well. And everybody in this room and everybody down the hallway is guilty as charged of breaking the law. I know that because there's only been one perfect person in history. And he was the judge. He doesn't make mistakes with his judgment calls. First off, he knows exactly where you are. You could fool me. You could come in on a Sunday morning, or I could go and visit you, or we could have a meeting in the office, something like that, and you could fool me as to where you are in life, spiritually and such, and mentally and emotionally, all that stuff. You can fool me. I'm not perfect. I have a pretty good track record of getting it right, but I'm not perfect. You can't fool God. He knows exactly where you are. And mark this, I have a less successful track record of knowing exactly what you need. God is perfect in that too. So if he sends something your way, if he gives you something, recognize that it is exactly what you need in that moment. He doesn't make mistakes. Secondly, and this is the part that we really, really hate. Realize that you are guilty of breaking the law. And there is only one sentence. You don't get community service. You don't get five years in prison with the chance of early parole. You don't get this stuff. There is one sentence, eternity in hell. That's it. For the minorest infraction... To the greatest, there is one sentence. Because you broke the perfect law. And God is an impartial judge. You and I are not impartial. Now, here's the great thing, because I can't destroy, well, that's not true. I could destroy your body. I could. A lot of people could do that. I can't touch your soul. There's not a thing I can do to your soul. You know what's terrifying? The rest of verse 12 says, the one who is able to save and to destroy, that means you entirely. You are completely and utterly at his mercy. And how amazing is it that his mercy abounds? Because he's an impartial judge, but he's a merciful one. 
and he says, you want to avoid it, there's one thing you've got to do. Now, it's the one thing most of us don't want to do because we don't like to admit that we need a Savior. We don't like to admit we can't do this on our own. We don't like to admit that we are worthless beings. That it doesn't matter how much money, how much talent, how many gifts, how much time I've spent, none of it matters. I'm a broken, vile creature who needs a Savior. And he provided it. He's able to save as well as to destroy. We sing the song on Sunday morning some days. He is mighty to save. And as a kid, as a, as, a, as a young teenager, I never understood that mighty to save. What does that mean? And as I grew older, I realized, do you know how mighty an act it was to save us from ourselves? To die for us a horrible, gruesome death, to spend three days in hell, to rise again, so that we didn't have to spend any time in hell. The might that takes, the strength that takes, and he had it in abundance. He is mighty to save. So we wrap this all back in. First off, realize that one day you will stand before the judge, the impartial, perfect judge. And you better have the best defense. There's only one defense that works. And you can have it. You just got to say yes to it. It's free. You just got to say yes. But secondly, realize you judge people the wrong way. So do I. In the wrong way, with the wrong criteria, to the wrong end. All the time. I'm not saying you have to judge everybody and like them. I am saying, though, that if you ever judge somebody, if I ever judge somebody, and it's not based on the perfect law with an attempt to help them become more Christ-like because I love them, I'm doing it wrong. If any of those three steps is out, if I don't love them, then I'm doing it wrong. If it's not to make them more Christ-like, then I'm doing it wrong. If I am judging them by my own criteria and not the criteria laid out in Scripture, I am doing it wrong. And I've set myself up against the law and against the lawgiver and against the judge. It's better not to judge at all if you can't do it. Some people I know do this so incredibly. They always just seem to know exactly what to say, exactly what to do. It's because they made a judgment call and because they listened to the Spirit prompting them. Because they didn't go, let me make the judgment call. They said, God, what's the judgment call here? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. It ends up you're not judging at all. It's the Spirit who judges. You just get to be the messenger sometimes if you're loving. I promised you when we started this way back when, in like November, maybe October, that James is chock full of really hard stuff, things we don't like. Here's some more of it. Things that make us realize just how bad of a Christian we really are. There's some more of it. But the amazing thing is that James didn't write this book under the, uh, with the influence of the Holy Spirit to make us downcast and feel bad. He did it because we know where to grow. 
He said, yes, you judge in the wrong way, so grow. So grow. Don't stay where you're at. And I want to encourage you here this morning as we're wrapping up. We're actually wrapping up early this morning, almost early. Keep growing in the right way. Make a judgment call, but make it because you love somebody and because you know the criteria laid out in this book and because you want to see them either become a Christian or grow in Christ. Say the right things, do the right things, and that takes spending time knowing your Father in heaven. That takes being humble and saying, I don't know what the right thing to do is. God, what is it? And then doing it. Would you pray with me? Father, we lift you up this morning. It is incredible to see um, what you're doing. I thank you that you are the impartial judge. I thank you that I don't have to be afraid to stand before you one day. Yes, everything I have done, said, and thought will be judged. I understand that. But I don't have to be afraid because I've got the best defense. I've got the only defense. It's Jesus Christ, and I've got him. Father, help me, help us in this room, those listening at home, whether on, on Facebook or on the podcast, to turn to you to make the right judgment calls so that we can truly help the other members of the body, so we can truly help each other grow and become more like your son. Father, lastly, I ask for anybody that's listening that doesn't have the perfect defense, the only defense against the impartial judge, Help them to say yes. Dive into their spirit until they say yes. And Father, we pray this. And it's in the name of your Son. Amen and amen.